Thank you, Kim, for filling in for Nancy, who's not feeling well today, and Rick for the song service. Appreciate you both. Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Appreciate all of you who took the time and effort to get ready to come to church on Sunday morning. It's a good crowd here. Thank you for coming. Thanks to all of you again. I mentioned this repeatedly, but I do appreciate all of you who take the time and effort to get your kids up and ready to come to church. That's a whole new dimension of getting ready when you got kids to get ready, and I appreciate you for doing that. Last week, we looked, of course, at the journey of the wise men. We looked at life being a journey, the upcoming years being a journey, and as we go through life, it is very much like a journey. Today, we want to look at the life journeys of two men who met at the most unlikely place and there are several lessons that apply to our own life's journey. And we'll look at this passage of Scripture and get those lessons for us as we anticipate the upcoming year. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And a lamb before his shear is silent, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan, your plan for our lives, your direction for our steps. Help us to see the principles and lessons in this passage of Scripture. We need to hear these things, and we'll need to remember these things. So please remind us of these things when we need them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, one thing we see, and we see this over and over in the Scriptures as we saw last week, and the first point that we have to make is this, the precise direction and perfect timing 
of God. Now, we know that God put Philip in the right place at the right time, but I want us to look at Philip's journey up until now because we need to read this. In verse 1 of this same chapter, it says, Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. It looked like disaster. It looked like catastrophe. It looked like God was not in any kind of control because the, uh, the uh, disciples, the followers of Christ, including Philip, had to run for their lives out of Jerusalem. Their whole life, their whole world was coming unraveled. They didn't expect it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't want it, but they had it. But in verse 5, we read this. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded those things which were spoken by Philip. Wow. It looked like everything was out of control. But once he got to Samaria, God made sense of it. Now, God made sense of it because Philip made the best of it. And no matter where he went, how bad his situation was, unpredictable catastrophe in his life, he still maintained the fact that he was a follower of Jesus Christ and shared his love with the people that he saw. Now, we will have some things that we don't ask for coming up this year, all of us. We'll have some things we don't expect. Now, God can make sense of it, especially when we make the best of it. And they had a revival. They had a revival to such a degree that the church sent Peter and John to investigate. In verse 14, the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. There's the reason why. The Samaritans were not friendly people to the Hebrew folks. They were at odds, and we've mentioned this before, for centuries. And they heard they hear these non-Jewish people, and they're having a revival. People are getting saved, as we say in South Arkansas, and coming to the Lord, and they said, we've got to go investigate this. Here are some people that's outside of the Hebrew people, the Hebrew family. Here's some people that we don't necessarily like. They're not like us. They don't like us. But wow, what a revival. We better go check this out. So they went and checked it out. And, of course, they checked it out. They really were thankful for what they saw. And in verse 25, when they had testified and preached the word of God at Samaria, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Peter and John not only liked what they saw, they participated in it. Say, here, let us help with what's going on. We love what's going on. We're going to stay here and preach a while. So not only did they just watch, they participated. So Philip's journey looked dark at the first. And now a revival is coming up to the point he gets the endorsement of Peter and John. And now he is traveling with them, preaching along the way. Wow, doesn't get too much better than that. But now God takes an unexpected turn in his life. He's traveling on with Peter and John. This could last a long time. I kind of like this. 
But in verse 26, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he tells them, <clears throat> I know this is all pretty good, and y'all were heading back to Jerusalem, and it's all great in Jerusalem, but I want you to go somewhere else. It's unexpected, going to Gaza. Now you have to understand what Gaza was. Gaza was the very last watering stop going south toward Egypt. And between Gaza and Egypt was a long stretch of desert. Now, in South Arkansas, you know what we would call that? That's the jumping off place, right? Gaza was the jumping off place. He said, I want you to go down to the jumping off place. And notice Philip's response. And he arose and went. Wow. Didn't seem to make sense to anybody that was on the sideline looking on. Wait a minute, you got a real good revival going on? You're traveling with these evangelists, and y'all are doing great preaching through the villages of Samaria. What, what are you thinking about? Now, you're going to take off by yourself and go down there to the jumping off place? But he went, and he responded, and then God gets to the point. He gets more specific. He doesn't just tell him to go on the road. God gets to the point. If you'll look in verse 27, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Wow, that's pretty precise, isn't it? Not only the, but the, the specific area, not only the general place, but we have the road and then he says, and you go and overtake that chariot. The chariot was on the move, but it was going very slowly. And so he gets to the point and says, here is what I want you to do. Go talk to that guy in the chariot. Have to understand, this man was a very, very high-ranking government official. So he had this big entourage around him. You could tell by looking at them, they were important people and they were wealthy people. But notice his response. It says in verse 30, and Philip ran to him. Now that's the way to respond to what God wants us to do. He didn't just kind of amble up when he got time and maybe if I get a few other odds and ends done. He ran. He was enthusiastic. He was prompt. He was deliberate. That's how God expects us to take care of his business in our life through the upcoming year, is to run to it. When God has instructions for us, when God has responsibilities for us, when God has a request for us, let's run to it. Let's get to business. Now, the angel spoke to Philip. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that worked. But here's an important point. The angel that talked to Philip could have just as easily talked to the Ethiopian, couldn't he? Couldn't he? But now here's the point. God has not given his commission to angels. God gave his commission to his people. That's us. We're it. We're the ones charged with the responsibility to share the good news of salvation with the world. We're it. 
There is no other organization. There are no other people. There is no other plan. When God gave the commission to go into the world and share this message, he gave it to us, his people, his believers. God placed Philip at the right place at the right time just when that high-ranking government official was coming down the road. But it gets even more precise than this. We'll see that in just a minute. I'm going to look at this man, the high-ranking government official. It says he was a, a eunuch. There's a lot of different things about eunuchs in the Bible and a lot of technical things that, lot, that would apply to some of them. But this particular time, the word eunuch would apply to any high-ranking government official. It was just a title. And he was a very high-ranking. He was a minister of finance. He had charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. You see, the Ethiopians had a king. But the king was regarded as being kind of way up here above the affairs of the kingdom. He couldn't be bothered with the affairs of just plain ordinary people. So the queen would take care of all of these tedious tasks. And of course, he was right under the queen, had charge of all the money of the kingdom. He had prestige. He had power. He had it made. But even at this, he was searching. It said he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he wasn't a Jewish man. He was an Ethiopian man. He wasn't a Hebrew man. So we know that. He had traveled 1,500 miles looking for answers. So he went to the temple. He went to Jerusalem. 1,500 miles searching for answers. Not sure if he found what he was looking for as he had to deal with the scribes and the Pharisees. And we know, of course, with our experience in the Gospels, they were way misguided about a lot of the things they did. They were steeped in tradition, couldn't get to the point about God's Word. So obviously, he didn't get the answers that he wanted, so he bought a scroll. It says he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, I have to understand, Bibles weren't plentiful like they are here. The Old Testament scriptures weren't available to regular people. They were handwritten on scrolls, and those scrolls were big. He bought a scroll. That's the only way he would have that in the chariot. Very expensive. Very expensive. So here's a man who was searching. So he did whatever he could do to find the answers, and he spent what money he could spend to find the answers, and he had this scroll in front of him, and he's reading the scroll. Now, Philip runs to the chariot, and he hears him reading. Everyone read out loud pretty much in those days. That's how they read, out, that's how they read through uh, uh, any document, and, of course, this scroll would be a document. So that's how Philip knew what he was, was reading. And he said, do you understand what you're reading. So here's a guy reading in the Bible, trying to find answers, but he didn't have any answers. You know what he has? A question. 
And you know, this past week, a lot of people have had questions reading through the Bible just in the first week of reading. Because when we read through the Bible and really start reading it, we're going to have some questions. That is very appropriate. That is very familiar. So here is this man. We know he was a very educated man to be where he was. Very smart man. And he had questions. And it's good to have questions. So we've been fielding the questions that we could, and we tried to answer as many questions as we can. But I'm going to say this, and I'm not chasing a rabbit because I'm going to catch this one. All right, and then we'll get back to the Scripture. I know as we read through the Scripture, I know a lot of you have had questions, and I'm glad. That tells me you're not just zipping over it. You're thinking about it, and you're asking the questions. A lot of technical questions like, why would, why would Eve even talk to a snake? Well, I figure because a garden hoe hadn't been invented yet, so just chop that up. Uh, and, but I agree. Why would, why would the snake talk? How did the snake talk? Where did Cain find his wife? A lot of these technical questions, they're good questions, but they're questions we don't have a lot of ready answers to. We can look at maybe what the scriptures say about other things and try to, try to answer the questions as best as possible. But unfortunately, sometimes we can't tie that question up in, in a nice little package. Wow, that's kind of frustrating, isn't it? Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to direct you to a passage of Scripture. And I mentioned this Wednesday night, and I mentioned this before in the past, but probably need to post it because a lot of people are not in our church that are on the, the, uh, the Bible reading plan. But I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. This is a good passage to mark. It's a good passage to remember. Because it tells us early on in the history of the people of God, there were questions they didn't have answers to. How are we going to deal with that? Well, God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Give you time to turn. Mark this one. The secret things... Belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What are those secret things? That's the questions we don't have the ready answers to. I, I wish we did. And not only the questions in Scripture, but aren't there questions in life we don't have ready answers to? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did this happen to me? And we don't have any ready answers for that. The secret things belong to the Lord. Now, that's not just dodging the responsibility to answer the question. But now, look at the next verse. But the things which are revealed, whoa, God gives us some of the answers. Now, we don't have all the answers, but we have some of the answers. God reveals answers to us. But notice, what are we going to do with these answers? It says this, The things which are revealed belongs to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God reveals enough of his word to us that we can get our lives right with him. 
Now, I may not have the answers of where Cain got his wife or some of these other things, and they're very good, valid questions. But I can't let the fact that I don't have those answers stop me from doing what I know. So he's going to reveal his word to us. He reveals enough of his word to us so we can get our lives right, so we can follow him, so we can, we can live lives that are useful, live lives that are joyful. But I do have to admit, some things we don't have the ready answers to. We have more questions and answers, but I rest in the assurance that even though I may not understand these questions, God understands these questions. These secret things belong to God, and God understands it, and it's God who is directing my life. So this man, reading the Scripture, searching for answers, just like us, he had questions when he read God's Word. Now let's look at the plan. There's two plans, actually. You look at this passage of Scripture and we see two plans in operation. First of all, God's eternal plan for the salvation for lost souls. That's the plan that was in action on that day. And did you know what? That plan was in action the next day and the next day and the next day. And that plan is in action today. God's eternal plan for salvation for lost souls, that is his plan. That's his agenda. That's the objective, is to reach lost souls with the message of the gospel. Now, we have God's specific direction of travel for Philip. That's kind of where this all revolves around, isn't it? His specific direction of travel corresponded with his eternal plan for the salvation of lost souls, and he oriented the travel and the direction of the steps of Philip so to make sure that that plan would be in operation to reach lost souls with the gospel. Now, there's a blueprint for the direction of travel in our lives in that God expects these two plans to correspond in our life. And he will direct my life to get that done, that my life would be in correspondence with his eternal plan to reach lost souls. Now, my direction of travel, his direction of travel for me may not be what I planned. But you see, Philip would have had no way of knowing that high-ranking official was traveling on that road looking for answers. No way of knowing. We don't have any way of knowing what's going to develop this year where God could put us in the right place at the right time to instigate his plan to reach somebody with his message of salvation. So that causes us to trust his care even when we don't have the answers and we don't know why he's doing something in our life. Philip's method was this. As he read, the place in the scripture that he read was this. He was led as a, sleep, a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shearer is silent. He opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? His life is taken from the earth. That is Isaiah chapter 53. Now here is the beauty of God's direction. God didn't just put Philip at the right place when this man was on the road to Gaza. He put him at that right place at the very instant he was reading this verse of Scripture. And that was significant because this verse of Scripture has to do with the coming Messiah. And if Philip had been a little bit later or a little bit earlier, this passage of Scripture wouldn't have been in discussion. 
But he heard him read this and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said this, is, is, this, is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? Who's he talking about? Now, Philip's method is this. Philip opened his mouth at beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now you might say, well, of course, that was Philip's method. He preached Jesus to him. Oh, no, no, no. No, there's a little bit more specific here. He started at the scripture to tell him of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? It's important because Jesus did the same thing. In the book of Luke chapter 24, after Jesus had risen from the dead, you remember on the Emmaus Road, Jesus spoke to the men on the Emmaus Road about what the Scripture said about the suffering Messiah. And then later on in the upper room, in verse 45 and 46, it's the same thing. All the disciples were together and he said, and beginning at the Scriptures, he told them, it was necessary for the Christ to come and suffer. But what did he use? He used God's Word. We need to know enough about God's Word concerning man's lostness and man's need for salvation and God's gracious plan of salvation. So when we're talking to people, it's good to witness about our own experience, but we need to make sure we have enough of God's Scripture in here. We can tell them what the Bible says about the love of God and about salvation. Why is that? In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, you know the passage of Scripture. My word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish in the purpose that I send it. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says it this way, All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord will stand forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. Trends and fads and programs and projects come and go, but God's word stands forever. It is solid. It is consistent from generation to generation. The plan never changes concerning the salvation of lost souls. That's why it's important for us to start at the scripture and tell people about Jesus Christ. What did Paul say this way about the gospel? In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. You see, that was Philip's procedure. That was his method that he started the scripture, told him about Jesus. The result is this, verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here this is water. One hinders me from being baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now I know some of you with some modern translations, verse 37 is not in there. Here's the reason why. The oldest manuscripts do not include this interchange between Philip and the eunuch but they were added very early on. And the church fathers saw that there was no violence to the Scripture leaving it in there. What probably happened is this. Very early on, there was a baptismal liturgy that included the one being baptized saying, 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So someone copying this by hand knew that this must have taken place because that's what takes place when people are baptized. They profess. Now let me say this. There was no harm because this statement is consistent with New Testament scriptures. When it says, why, why can't I be baptized? And he said, you need to believe first. That's consistent with New Testament scriptures. Belief, faith, salvation comes first. Because what does John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever what? Believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. The book of John chapter 1 verse 12 I believe as many as believed on him. To him he gave the power to become the sons of God. Belief results in salvation. In the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 19 repentance leads to forgiveness. So salvation Forgiveness, all this leads from belief. True belief and confession of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. Then baptism can happen. Without that, baptism cannot realistically happen. Simply because belief came first. Baptism was a public proclamation. Now, he generally trusted Christ to the point he said, now stop, stop everything. There's water right there. He wanted to be baptized right then. Now, he was, he was in the middle of a trip. He was in the middle of a journey. He had all this, these attendants around him. It was a big caravan based on historical uh, writings. They, he traveled the big, there were people all around him. And it was a busy highway. And he said, I want to stop right now. There's some water right there. Why can't he be baptized right now? And he said, do, do you really believe? Oh, yeah, I really believe. He said, well, let's, let's do it. So here he was in front of all of his government people, in front of all these folks. He wanted to let the whole world know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's what that's baptism is. We just tell everybody that we identify with God and we identify with his people. Wow. Isn't that something? how God's direction to Philip that he didn't understand why God is doing this came to this place. Now, it says the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Well, where was he going? He was going to Ethiopia. That's interesting when you're considering the plan of God. Because Jesus said this in the book of Acts chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 7, said, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. King James says the uttermost parts of the earth. It's quite interesting. This man was going to Ethiopia. The Romans and the Greeks considered Ethiopia to be the end of the earth. Now here is a believer rejoicing, going back to the end of the earth with his message of salvation. Wow. The direction of travel from these two men corresponded with the eternal plan of salvation of reaching lost souls. Wow. We know of the direction that God did in detail in the life of Philip. 
What about the eunuch? You look at this man's life and you see what he was and what he did, and we realize his entire life was in preparation for this moment. By his education, he could read the Hebrew Scriptures. He could read the Bible. By his position, he could travel 1,500 miles to Jerusalem. Not just everybody could do that. By his wealth, he could purchase a scroll. Now, who provided his education? Who directed his life to be in that position? Who gave him all of this wealth? Well, God did that. And God did that not just because of the sake of position and education and wealth. He did it so in this particular place and time, all these things came together. And his eternal plan of reaching his lost soul came to be. That's God's eternal plan. And God has directed all of our lives to this. Watch this. You're here right now hearing the message of salvation. God did that. He did it for a reason. The steps of a good man are directed by the Lord, the psalmist says. But here's, here's another one. Here's a prayer for the upcoming year. From the 27th Psalm, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. You ever sometimes thought, man, I, I just can't figure God's will out for my life. Oh, why don't we pray God just make it plain to you? But now watch it. When he makes it plain, what are we going to do with it? Philip ran to it when he knew God's will. As prepared for an invitational hymn, all of this was done to reach a lost soul with the message of Christ. And this soul, the eunuch, came to the point where he says, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How about you? You come to that realization of who Jesus is, the Messiah who came to take away your sin? Maybe we just need to pause and think about the upcoming year and say, Lord, just lead me in a plain path. And even when things are coming unraveled, I'll have the trust and faith that you're working a plan working a plan that's bigger than I am, or working a plan to reach somebody with the gospel. If you have a need for decision or commitment or a prayer, let's do it this morning as we stand and sing.